Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. And I'm Tony. We are here for the 86th episode of Knee Deep in Tech. But it turns out that this is not only the 86th episode. It is also the 100th episode. And no, I was never any good at math. So <laughs> it's, it's number 86, but it is the 100th episode that we actually put out because we've done 12 and a half We've done pre-ignite a couple of times. We've done some specials. Some interviews. Some interviews. And yes, we suck at math. But here we are, episode number 86, the 100th episode. And who would have thought that we would be sitting here after less than two years and having done 100 episodes? I still remember the day when Simon said, I have an idea. Let's start a podcast. And me, my stupid self, just went, yeah, sure. How hard can it be? (laughs) And that was the start of a interesting ordeal. A never-ending happy story. A never-ending story, exactly. That was what <laughs> I heard. Today we have a guest. It is none other than the legendary Mr. Johan Dahlboom. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And this time, because you were one of our first guests, but at that point you worked somewhere else. So what do you do today? Today I have joined, it sounds like cliche, the mothership So in May, I joined Microsoft, and I work at Microsoft as a cloud solution architect. Very generic title. Yes. So what does one of those do? Uh, That's what I ask myself every day. There we go. (laughs) Now, uh, on a serious note, uh, my, my job is basically to help our largest Azure customers to be successful in their projects. And that means I work together with the customers in their projects. I go... Uh, make sure that they are taking the right architectural decisions, uh, trying to unblock uh, issues for them, connect them with engineering and all sorts of things. So it's very fun, very interesting. Cool. And challenging from time to time. (laughs) So when you say your largest customers, how many seats are we talking about? How many seats? Uh, We don't really, we are not measured by seats. Oh, really? Azure space. Okay. We're looking at consumption. But uh, we, we are talking about customers with hundreds and thousands, thousands of employees. So Holy the, cow. the largest Azure customers that we have in uh, Western Europe. So what does Western Europe entail? How, how far does the, the border, wh- where do you go to the east and to the south? Uh, UK is included in Western Europe. And then we have down to France. Okay. So is the UK going to be part of Western Europe after Brexit? Uh, Cannot comment on that. Okay, but <coughs> I see. We'll see. Funny that. <laughs> yeah, funny also how the Brexit thing keeps coming up on our discussions. <laughs> I know, uh, right? I just did my one of my very, very few political tweets just a bit now. Uh, I retweeted a debate from somewhere in the UK on how the whiskey export will be affected by Brexit. That's the thing I care about. So, moving on to something much, much more important than Brexit, new hardware. Yes. So there was a bit of a a Surface event. A bit of a Surface event. I was very excited. I actually watched that live. And you almost cried, which never, ever happens. (laughs) Yeah, a single tear of joy came (laughs) down my cheek. And when when, uh, Tony says I was excited, it was very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was very good very good <laughs> so what what happened because I, I I just saw that they basically came out with something that came out of nowhere um, the the foldable something something yeah it was like the pretty much the usual you know the last second uh, the guy's on his way off stage turns around oh and one more thing 
And he flips out the Surface Duo, uh, Microsoft's dual-screen phone, running Android. Okay, let's unpack that for a bit, because there is another company that has done a flip phone, a foldable phone. <laughs> yeah, how it was a that, flop phone. He, how did that work out for them? Not very good, as far as I understand. No. Uh, I think... I read something about it the other day, actually. They have re-released the product, Samsung, meaning. Yes, but it still doesn't work. Uh, no, there's still issues with the screen, mm -hmm. as far as I know. And I think that's the main point. The servers Duo and Neo, which we'll get back to soon, have two screens. Yeah, mm -hmm. so While... it's not a single foldable no. screen, no. And a hinge, so. Yep. And a hinge, yep. A very cool hinge. Yeah, and Surface products usually do have great hinges, by the way. <laughs> that's that's true. And, and hinges are not a simple construction at all. I think Pano said something about the hinge in the Duo Neo having like 70 gears, something like that. What? So it's an insane device in terms of the engineering that goes into and, that And half of the gears are like a hair, yeah. the, the size of a human hair. Yeah, they said something about that. The um, circuits connecting to both, both of the screens, that's like thinner than a human hair. So, yeah, um, I can see no issues with this at all. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yep, so we have that much. one for with Android, the Duo. They also released another device, or not released, they will be releasing these devices in to the holidays next year. So they're already showing stuff that will be out in, in time for holiday next year. So 2020. And holidays meaning somewhere Christmas. around Christmas 2020. Yep. Okay. So Surface Duo, Android phone, Surface Neo, running a new version of Windows 10 with the horrible name of Windows 10 X. Yep. Fantastic. <sighs> so that's the ARM. Th that's one of the ARM devices. One of the ARM devices. Okay. Yep. So that's basically a bigger foldable device running uh, Windows 10 based on ARM. And I'm saying device because, at least according to Microsoft, it's a completely new form factor, which you can argue with, but uh, I'm definitely buying both of them. Oh, of course <laughs> you are. I mean, th this... Um, no surprise there. <laughs> this makes me think back to when the iPad was first released. Yep. People went, yeah, it's super cool, but what the heck should we use it for? And I'm, I'm kind of picking up the same vibe here. People are looking at this new, new form factor and going, yeah, it's super cool, but what are we going to use it for? And it's going to be interesting to see what niche this piece of hardware actually carves for itself. Yeah. Because I have no doubt that it is going to put a dent in, in most everything. It's going to be fun. Definitely. <clears throat> for sure. And I mean, we have plenty of time to have developers explore what possibilities yep. you get with two screens. So. Oh, yeah. And I think it's also a matter of changing the way we work. Since we are today very, very used to using one app at a time, at our mobile devices especially, mm -hmm. for the Surface Neo I can definitely see how I would use it, both with both screens and with the keyboard and everything, because that's basically how I use a computer with two screens, but in a much smaller form factor. So what you're saying is that you would be twice as inattentive. Exactly. Okay. Uh, but with the Surface Duo, that's changing the way we use mobile devices to a dual screen interface. Yeah, so I, we don't I need also to context liked, switch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I also very much like the thing that you can actually do multitasking with the dub double screens. Yeah. Way more efficient than how I use my mobile today. Yeah. Cool. 
So we have Windows 10X. Another thing that ends with an X is the new Surface Pro X, which is the first ARM-based, or not first, the second ARM-based Surface out there. After the RT. After the RT, which was a device I absolutely loved. Yeah, you keep saying it. Then again, you are one of the very few people that I know that actually like Windows Phone. So that's we'll a whole different... We'll get back to that because no. I used a Windows Phone a week ago in I real know, life. which is fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the Surface Pro X is the Surface Pro with a bigger screen, with a custom-made ARM chipset uh, from... Qualcomm, but Microsoft branded, Surface branded, to be honest. The SQ10, right? SQ1. SQ1, no? And that's going to be my new travel machine, for sure. Does it have a flux capacitor? (laughs) Now, Simon is not old enough to know what that reference is. And neither are you. (laughs) I am, in fact. (laughs) Let's just say he can't time travel, right? Well, you never know. I'm, I'm kind, kind of curious because I totally get why you would want to use that form factor because yeah. the size is, is perfect. Is it going to be powerful enough? Definitely for what I intend to use it for, just like you use your Surface Go. Yes, and while we're on the subject of the Surface Go, it is absolutely borderline powerful enough. Yeah, but this one will be or seems to be extremely powerful for the use case. Also remember that it can't run... 64-bit applications. So you will, by the architectural design, probably run into some other challenges. Well, there is that. Yeah. Cool. Uh, we then have the new Surface Pro, which was the device they spent less the, the less time on, uh, because that's really nothing new, as far as I can see. USB-C. USB-C, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And new chipsets. But other than that, it's um, Do we know what chipset they used for the Wi-Fi? We could probably find out because it's... um... It's an interesting question because the Wi-Fi chipsets have been absolutely horrible on some of them. Uh, And I I cannot remember if it's a Broadcom or an Intel. It's not Uh, Intel. It's not Intel. No, that's that's for sure. It's not Intel. Okay. Um, Or at least it, it never has been because that would put it in a higher price range. And and speaking of Intel, didn't uh, Microsoft kind of put a a shot across Intel's bow with the 15-inch laptop? Yep. And the laptop 3 in 15-inch format actually has an AMD processor in it, custom Ryzen processor. But they didn't mention what that's for, because that's for consumers. They also have the 15-inch with an Intel configuration with Ice Lake. Really? Yep. Yes. Because I'll be getting one. Oh. <laughs> so they have the same 32 gig version of it with an i7 as well, with Ice Lake. So the Ryzen one is aimed towards consumers mostly or people that want a more graphic, powerful laptop, but that for some reasons don't want the Surface Book. And then you have the Surface Laptop 3 15-inch for business. A question, is it the same GPU in those or different GPUs? Different GPUs as well. Interesting. The AMD one runs the, um, what's the name of it? Vega. Vega. It should be a Vega, Vega graphics. And, uh, the oh. other one has Iris. Oh, okay, so it's it's a discrete Iris uh, thing. Yep. in. Okay. Yep. I, I could probably that. be able to find out which uh, uh, wireless t- uh, card it uses, but it doesn't stay that on the Swedish side as well, yep. or at least. So we have that. We have the laptop which also gets um, 
USB-C, of course, the new more powerful SKUs, and new chipsets, and 13 and a half and 15 inch screens. But the maximum amount of memory for the 13 inch is still 16 gigs. Yes. Which I still think it's a pity. Yep. Uh, they could have chosen to use the other chipset of yep. the Ice and then. It's when do you need 32 gigs? Well, it, it's funny you should say yep. that because most of the time I would say that I don't need a powerful machine anymore because I can just spin up whatever I need in, in Azure. That's my point, yeah. But in my specific case, and this is just for me, I do a lot of work with uh, Power BI Desktop. And Power BI Desktop is technically um, SQL Server Analysis Services, i.e. the worst memory hog there is. So if I am to work with a large data set on my laptop, I need the RAM. So yep. that's that's why. Okay, gotcha. Yep. But but again, that's a very narrow use case. So Yeah, because for me, 16 gigs is plenty. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But you don't run uh, Power BI and you don't run Config Manager. I do I do run Power BI, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but I'm not that. doing that kind of advanced work yep. in Power oh, really? BI. Cool. Yeah. We also got something new. One more new thing from Microsoft. The Surface earbuds which could be the worst-looking earbuds ever. I would have to agree that they were absolutely horrible-looking. Hopefully, the sound is better. Yep. But going on the fact just how much of a lemon the Surface headphones were, I will reserve judgment. Yep. So I but you're going to buy them anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows that. Yes. <laughs> and I, I... like The event was great i enjoy seeing the earbuds because i hopefully we, we hopefully will see other communication devices headphones earbuds whatever that are more aimed towards enterprise use rather than consumers which both the headphones and the earbuds are aimed towards i think the earbuds could be a stretch there because they have so much office 365 functionality but all in all, great event, so much awesome hardware, and uh, I can't wait for them to get released. So the laptop, the Pro and the Pro X, and the earbuds, I believe, uh, will be available in November, I think? In October 22nd in some markets, and later in November for other markets. Mm -hmm. Interesting. <coughs> yep. I'm very much interested in the laptop 313-inch, actually. Oh, the laptop three, 13 inch. 13 and a half. Yeah, oh, 13 and a half. Half. And, and a half. Half. <laughs> All right. The half episode. The, oh, yeah, we we have those. <laughs> Boom. Yep. So, shifting gears a bit. Yep. Today is a very special day for one of our very special Finnish friends. Sami Laiho yeah. is leaving the 30s and entering the 40s. The Middle Ages. The Middle Ages. <laughs> you know, that makes so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I I, don't think the world will ever be the same. No. So Probably not. Big congratulations to Sami. Happy birthday to Sami. And here we, in the episode, we sang happy birthday, but Alexander graciously edited that away. Yes. yes. Because I, the internet could not handle that uh, <laughs> awesome, complete lack of... No, it, awesomeness is not the word what I was looking for. <laughs> well, I'll just say, who was into my paper? what he said <laughs> anyway <laughs> a couple of um, weeks ago we um we talked about something called the azure private link and we both 
kind of came to the conclusion that we need to have an expert on to explain the Azure private link. And of course, we went for the Dalbom, the one, the only. And one of the, the first questions that came up is how does the private link stack up against um, the, the VPN? which it turns out is a completely incorrect question. So let's just backtrack a bit. What is the private link and how do you use it? Where, where, do, you, where do you see it fit in? Absolutely. And private link, the background is for platform as a service offerings in Azure, we basically have two different options on integrating those into your network. The first uh, option is VNet integration. That's basically you deploying one of the services that we manage inside of your network. That means that those services, they get the private IP from your IP range. You can manage access rules from your on-premises environment integrations, however you'd like. But in, in order to connect my VNet to my own physical network, I need to Either use a VPN or Express Route. Okay, cool. And that's still going to be the case, even right. with private link. Right. So those are the hybrid integration options that we have, and those are still there for sure. So that's one option. And an example of those services is like HD Insight, uh, Azure Kubernetes Service, and some of the other things that you deploy in your own VNet, but we manage. Azure SQL Server. Azure SQL Server, the managed instance, yes, they are deployed in your VNet. Azure SQL is not deployed inside of your VNet. Those are still accessed oh, through a public endpoint. What are they? Because you can put a, a SQL Server on a private endpoint into your VNet. Exactly, and that's exactly what Private Link is for. So the other option that we have is, just as you say, with Azure SQL. Azure SQL uh, is on a public endpoint with a public IP. You have the possibility to lock it down with something called service endpoints. So you only allow traffic from certain IP addresses and from certain VNets to that Azure SQL. But it's still a public endpoint. It's still IP. a public endpoint. And ah. the problem here is, let's say you have a scenario where you want to access this Azure SQL, which you have locked down from your on-premises environment through your express route. Today, with service endpoints, that not that's not possible. And locking down for public IP addresses is cumbersome to manage for large enterprises. And from a security standpoint, having public endpoints, for example, if you're in a highly regulatory re uh, uh, compliance environment like PCI or things like that, uh, it's not really okay in certain cases. So what Private Link solves is just that problem. It gives you the ability to expose services such as Azure SQL as a private endpoint with an IP address inside of your VNet. So your Azure SQL will now be able to get a, an IP address in your VNet. It will show up as a network interface card in your VNet and thus you can access it from your on-premises environment, you can manage the network security groups, you don't have to care about public IP addresses whatsoever. So that's what Private Link is for, and that's something that lots and lots of large customers have been waiting for for a long time. Not only large customers, I would assume, because I've had this kind of discussion with a lot of my, my fairly small clients that all say, sure, we want to use Azure SQL Server, but we don't want to put anything on the open internet. And pre previously, we were kind of shit out of luck, but now we have a solution to this. Exactly, exactly. So that's what Private Link is for. And it's going to come for all 
pass services moving forward that today has the service endpoint integration pattern. The VNet injected services such as Kubernetes and so on, uh, th those are still inside of your VNet, so th those will not be the focus. And the cool thing with private link in addition to uh, the private IP addresses for PaaS services is that you can even integrate with other providers with private links. So let's say you have your own solution with a load balancer in your Azure subscription. Then you can expose that solution into my VNet with a private IP address through the private link. So you can create a subscription from a, uh, from a service provider and they can expose their service inside of your, your VNet through the private link. So it's a very powerful service. And the cool thing is, even if you have a service, let's say hosted in East US 2 or in any of the other regions across the world, and you want to expose this service into Europe, you can still do that through the private link over our network. So basically, anything that you have inside of your VNet, you can expose to another VNet somewhere else in the world with a private IP. So super powerful service. It sounds absolutely awesome. And this opens up uh, quite a few ideas in my head already. But I'm curious, do you know or can you talk about how it actually works underneath? Not, 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 not in detail. Not okay. in detail, unfortunately. But we can have a session afterwards on that. <laughs> cool. <laughs> right. So because I'm, I'm thinking that it, it has to be fairly complex with shipping uh, packets to and from. It is, it is uh, very complex. And that's also one of the reasons why it's taken so long for them to come up with this service. Yeah. And our competitors uh, have had this kind of service for quite some time. So lots of customers have been asking for it. And we're very happy and excited to have it released now. But this is in private preview or is it? It's in public preview now, okay. uh, but only in a limited set of regions. Uh, and as you all know, a big conference is coming up now in November. So uh, I would guess that maybe something will happen there. Penguin <laughs> World. <laughs> huh? Penguin World. Well, that's a whole different story. <laughs> This kind of reminds me of of, uh, of um, Atlanta a couple of years back. Simon, one penguin, no pictures. <laughs> anyway, so I'm very happy to stay next to SeaWorld in Orlando this year. <laughs> I'm not sure that the penguins would agree, but that's a whole <laughs> fun, funny that. So okay, so uh, what's the pricing? How how, how is this purchased? Since it's still in preview, we haven't released any details on the pricing. Okay. So right. that will come in once we get closer to GA. You yep. have been trained well. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Now, so th this, this, this was perfect because this cleared up um, all the questions that I had about where to, to fit this in. And suddenly, as you say, it's a super powerful um, feature. And I'm going to pretty much start use this immediately because I, I know quite a few people that are going to benefit from it. Just exactly. And if you want to try it out, it's available, but only in the East US2 region at the moment. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, so what does that mean? Does that mean that I can have my things in Europe and make it work or do I need to put You need my to have stuff? everything in East US2 at the moment. Okay, right. So if you want to set it up in a lab, you need to provision machines and VNets there. Sure. Cool. Yeah. So, um, speaking of, of um, events, yesterday it was a huge release event for the Power Platform. And if I were to go through all the things that came out, uh, this is going to be a three-hour episode. So, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to mention that there is a PDF, and this is what is known as the 2019 Wave 2 release. So many awesome 
features, both going uh, general available from October, uh, public preview from October, and public preview and general availability going forward all the way uh, until the first quarter of 2020. So a lot of interesting features, not only for Power BI, but for uh, the, the entire Power Platform. The entire Power Platform. So, so Flow, uh, Power Apps, the whole nine yards, um, even the AI stuff is inside of Power Platform. But you need to mention something because you can't just say we have a PDF here. Read it. That would be a very, very boring the podcast. All right. So we have data lineage. One of the, the most difficult things in Power BI is to keep track of who is actually using this data set, right? Oh. And lineage and, and governance is where Power BI is sorely lacking. There, there are third-party solutions to this, but uh, Microsoft has some ways to go. And data lineage was the first step, so to speak. This was actually um, released as a public preview in October. Yep. We have something that is very, very interesting is the um, data protection stuff. As of October 2019, again, public preview, this is about being able to classify and label both dashboards, um, reports, data sets, data flows, the whole nine yards in accordance with uh, governance and, and uh, compliance. So that's kind of cool too. So to me, it feels like the development of Power BI has been previously very, very focused on getting the feature set up to speed mm -hmm. to make it a competitive product, which they have succeeded with. Cool. Now it's more about ensuring that it have the level of compliancy, of security, of manageability from an enterprise perspective added on top of that. Yes and no. And the the words you actually use, added on top, is... Yeah. Well, that that's the thing. That's the, the, the key part. It is basically bolting these things on. For instance, why is the Power BI... A PBIX file binary. It means that it is so hard to make a, a diff between two PBIX files to just find out what changed. Now, again, there are solutions to this, but not out of the box. So there were some um, architectural decisions made very early that is pretty much coming home to roost. And uh, governance and, and um, that kind of stuff is an issue, and this needs to be bolted on. So yes, it is definitely coming but there are so many things coming when it comes to feature sets as well one other interesting thing that i want to mention is known as the q a tooling and and the q a stuff q a means that i can use plain english or whatever language i want to use to just show me sales over time for this customer i'm, I'm just going to write that before you continue with that in the language i like does it support multiple languages or is it only english I think, think that is still in English yeah. only, that I know for a fact that this is going to be um, translated at some yeah. point because a lot of people are clamoring for this. Yeah. So I just write, give me this visual and hit enter and boom, I get a visual. And I can use this visual uh, both to, to keep working on it, to add stuff or remove stuff and put it on my dashboard. But what I can also do as a public preview and, and that kind of stuff is get a feedback loop. I, as a report creator, can actually see what kind of queries are people asking and kind of tweak my results because I, I can I can work with probably a QA to change how it behaves and increase the, the, the chances that my users get what they are looking for. Can you get insights into that to see who is asking a specific question? Because that could be 
of interest when following up who have access data, ask which question? Very good question. I can answer that uh, because this just came out yep. as as both preview and, and GA. And I, I need to look into it more uh, because that, that's an interesting question. Definitely. Great. Right. So what's, what's more happening in, in the world of tech? What's this battery-powered Azure? <laughs> that's a I, huge I ass UPS. <laughs> I, I think that Johan may have uh, an opportunity to jump in here. Uh, it's basically a new version of Azure Data Box Edge, and um, so the Data Box Edge is just a huge uh, disk drive, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. To transfer large amounts of data to Azure. Yeah, cool. And now it's a new version, which is small enough to fit in a backpack together with a battery pack. Why do you need the battery pack for a disk? Uh, do you have actually have compute power in it too? Yes, you have compute power in the tool. Yep. So why? So they, I, I, it, it's, I, I, I guess uh, it's built for edge. While talking yeah. about how Microsoft is already being utilized by various military services. So I would imagine if this has compute power, you can gather a bunch of data and instantly get some kind of edge computing run on it to so use it's, it for it's, various. It's a, it's a miniature Azure stack. You could use it, it for other purposes as well. Databox Edge is used to transfer large amounts of data to Azure. So I assume the use case for this particular product is to have those in certain edge cases when you're out running and you need to transfer, uh, for example, uh, statistics data or analytical data, that kind of stuff up to Azure. And when you say transfer, are you looking at actually crunching the data before you put it up into the cloud? Or what do you use the, the, uh, the compute It's power only for, for data transfer. So what do you use the compute power for? It, it's only for the connection to the cloud, so it's basically oh. a Raspberry Pi. Oh, finally, I get it. Okay, that makes sense. Cool. So it actually can and does phone home. Yes. Interesting. Azure phone home. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> yes. And <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's pretty much it. Azure phone home will put the end to the 100th episode of Knee Deep in Tech. That would be episode 86. <laughs> this is going to haunt me. I will not be able to sleep tonight. But it has been great. Thank you, Yuan, for coming on. Thanks for having me. And until next time, see you next time. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.